My daughter said the other day, I think the brand is sticking. She was talking about buying me suspenders now. Like, you're always looking for, and she's like, rainbow suspenders. And see, I would not buy rainbow suspenders for myself, but I would wear them if someone bought them for me. I'm going to be flamboyantly leaning into this this brand. Entry music. It's the Bob and Josh show. We finally made it. That's right. The end of the potpourri. And that means you get to hear Bob try and say four in French. That's not pretty, but it'll give you a laugh. Once again, thanks for everybody who sent in questions. We tackle the last two here today, and then we queue up what's next. Never be afraid to send us a question. Just because we're not doing an Agile Potpourri doesn't mean we don't want your questions. We are here to help you. So send us whatever you have, whatever you're worried about, whatever you just wish you had an answer to. Reach us on Discord. Twitter, email, you name it. We're here. We're ready. Here we go. We are officially starting the fourth episode in a row. Oh, we are covering yeah. an agile potpourri. And I well, know there's doing- somebody that's excited to use their French. So I'm just going to get out of the way. No, no. I was just saying this is, we we're taking questions. So tactical questions uh, from the audience. This is the last one. Most probably, I think it is. Mm-hmm. But we've been we've been we've been customer centric. We've been, you know, sort of reacting to our our clientele. Yeah. So this is the potpourri. No, I, oh, man, you got to do it. This is the potpourri episode number. Katra, Katra, Katra. Sounds like or a the cat sneezing or something. The cat sneezing or <laughs> or get trying to get rid of something. So yeah. welcome to part four. Let's just dive into this. Let's man. do it. So here, I'm just going to read it. So this is from Vishali Patel, a nod to Vishali. Uh, I think we both, we both know her. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Hey Bob, not Hey Bob and Josh. But hey, Bob, I know I love I know. your Metacast. Ooh. Oh, your Metacast. Uh-huh. I know. I know. <laughs> I, I had to go there. Could you please cover ad hoc agile software development and related case studies? Well, you lost me at case studies, but we can we can talk about it. many companies invent their methods and call them hybrid. However, I have seen that it works well with certain team cultures, but it goes sideways whenever there is a need to scale or meet the demand in the market. I want to learn more about case studies related to companies that have transformed from ad hoc agile to scaled agile. And I think we can take that, we can take it that anywhere we want, Josh, like be mm-hmm. a little, be a little loose with it. What do you, what's your initial yeah. reaction? I've got this concept I've been selling on LinkedIn lately called minimum bearable scrum. And that's what I believe hybrid actually means where a company intends to go agile they pick up scrum or maybe they might even go so far as to pick up safe and they are a little bit surprised because it's difficult and rather than put their head down work through those challenges make the cultural transformations that are needed to operate like that they just start peeling back layers that are difficult and are presenting challenges because the company is not good at change So in the end, you end up with the least amount of scrum that your company can bear, and you call it hybrid. And to Vishali's point, it can work. But as soon as you need to put the pedal to the metal, 
and really scale and really grow, that's when things start to fall apart or go sideways, which I think is the term that she used. And I agree with that 100%. I have not seen anyone be able to scale in a manner like that. I don't know if you have it all, Bob. Joe, so in a manner like you're picking ad hoc things or you're, you're choosing to do, mm-hmm. I, I think in general, I, I would agree with you um, that as you scale or as I multiply teams, the ability to chaotically choose and get consistently good results. So to have wide guardrails or no guardrails at all and get consistency at and and when I say scale, it, it could be like somewhere as small as ten to fifteen teams. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't it doesn't have to be a hundred teams. Then then I think it gets the organizations become and they can pick, but they, but it's not functional, right? It's it's relatively chaotic. Uh, it's almost like the inmates are running the asylum. You you need some kind of you know, I hate to say, and this sounds very, and it is, it's sort of contrary to agile thinking. Um, but uh, you need some kind of firm guardrails in place, I think, at scale. Now, there's a guy, Mike Hall, who's a coach in Texas, who I know and respect a lot. And he's a safe guy, or he was a safe guy for, for a number of years. Uh, he probably still, he still weighs in in the safe community, but he's not a real strong supporter. He's a firm believer in, he's seen success with letting teams do whatever the hell they want, hmm. right? He's, or, or it's not, not quite that way, but like self-selection, like, like he's a strong proponent of, you don't dictate scrum or Kanban or anything at, at a team by team level. You come in and, and you, now you nurture the team to choose their methods and it's okay for, for teams to be quite different. Uh, and whenever I talk about guardrails, I mean, he's respectful, but, but he's, he's sort of anti-guardrail to some degree, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, regardless of, of the scale of things. And I, I have, I don't have success with that. Uh, my only, my, my experience is mostly light-handed guardrails or guided guardrails. Mm-hmm. There's two things. One about the difference between ad hoc and the by the book i i believe and i have seen that true agility comes when you are able to have this balance and it's a delicate balancing act that takes effort when you're able to a balance when you're able to balance alignment and the autonomy of teams those are things that are diametrically opposed, but you have to enable both. You have to allow the teams to do their thing. <laughs> After all, we talked about self-directed teams and all that stuff that's built into this realm. But also, as you scale, even to two teams or three teams or four teams, have to be aligned. And that takes a certain amount of overhead that requires some of the guardrails that Bob was talking about. Now, I have had success with something similar to what Bob talked about from, I forget his name in Texas. I was at a company running engineering and we acquired a bunch of companies and I tried to force feed our process, which was working amazingly for us here in Raleigh. And it was wonderful and we loved it. And we acquired these companies. So I'm just like, hey, we've nailed it. So you should do everything like this. Well, the reality is 
that didn't fit the culture and who they were and the product that existed. So I forced a new approach on teams that didn't need it, that were already running pretty well. And what I ended up doing was the guardrails that we had to have to operate as a part of a product within our company was you had to do a demo every two weeks, and then you had to publish two different plans on a monthly basis. This is what we expect to build over the next six sprints. And this is what we expect to build over the next year and refine that every month and show this is where we're going under the covers, whether it was scrum or safe or whatever it was, that was the, that was the protocol of how we communicate products and process and everything within that. So I've had success in a similar manner there and it actually did work pretty well but our cultures were very different so that drove me towards like okay i gotta back way off uh if i was doing it everything in in house i'm not sure i would make that play as you were talking one thing i was thinking about is i think the experience the experience of the team matters or teams that shuhari so i'm i'm muddling around that you know that notion of shuhari so how do you start if it's a totally new team or new set of teams uh, versus are they experienced? I think that's a factor. The other thing I'm thinking about is the experience of the coach. Mm. Um, and I'm thinking about, I'm, I'm reflecting on myself. And I think one of the things that I add value. So if you go into an organization and you just say, here's scrum picket. And Vishali was sort of talking about that, you know, it's, you just pick things. You're an un, you're an uninformed or an inexperienced picker, uh, as opposed to um, when I go in. I'm I'm not just introducing Scrum. I'm reading the organization, mm -hmm. and and I'm sort of selecting what I think based on the the level of impact or import or priority of the events and things like that, and then the culture what is the minimal viable set from my point of view that meets the culture where they are? And that varies sometimes. And where am I going to really hold the line and where am I not? And, and I don't have a consistent recipe for that. Um, I think if you have a coach that can do that in your case, the two companies, I wonder like, how did you end up? I suspect if you spent equal time in Texas versus here, well, then you get a sense for what is the modified thing. You're an expert mm -hmm. guide is what I'm, you're an mm -hmm. expert Sherpa. Most organizations don't have expert Sherpas. Right. And I think that's a difference too, like the guidance that you have. Yeah. And, and I didn't just say, Hey, do those things and best of luck. I still was with them on a regular basis and talking through building, growing the agile mindset which many of them had it just hadn't been formalized so yeah. i just wrapped terms we were already using in some other places around that so that we had a common language that we were speaking and then they they started to learn and observe from the other products that were doing things a little bit different and each team was able to tweak things so that they as easily and effectively as possible could deliver on the protocol that we said, this is what right. you must do. Right. And as you fast forward a year, 18 months, they all start to look pretty similar. 
just as they again start to optimize and everybody learns from each other then that's a pretty powerful thing but it's where you could have variance and where yeah you know so so for example where i i would care less about story structure mm -hmm. i'm just pulling something out of thin air like what the user story looks like i would care more about conversation i was just mm -hmm. talking to someone last night uh and he's he's a coach and he's in a large-scale organization um and the leadership team is making them do some estimates they're 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 making them do point estimates in a certain way uh with spreadsheets and things like that and they're trying to collect data around that and we were talking about you know i might not care about the units i mean i it matters they were doing they were going to bastardize story pointing but i said if if you can maintain the conversation part then maybe I don't care as much about the pointing. As long as you have safety, mm -hmm. psychological safety, and as long as you have rich conversations, maybe it doesn't matter. Right. I, 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 I think that's the experience that you bring to bear as an outside coach. Most folks wouldn't fight for that nuance, or or make that prioritization call. I'm not. I'm not trying to to sort of yeah, say no, that I get what you're doing. Yeah, it's yeah. This is I, I think, this is something I think, that um, maybe don't copy Josh, right? Until you've had or developed as many scars as I have. Yeah, yeah like that's a. I think it's. I think thing. it's. I think or or actually copy Josh, like get Josh to be involved, mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm and I'm not or get some other experienced. Yeah, you know, out of the hundred thousand or whatever it is, or three hundred thousand people who are agile coaches, there are there's probably a handful, hundreds that have, you know, decades of, you know, decades of experience. That doesn't mean you do what they say, but they have enough experience, enough experiments that they can, that not only do they define guardrails for you, but they're an adaptive coach with you and they can help, they can help sort of figure out, help you to guide towards success and, and get that flex point. I wanted to come back to, someone said something here consistency does it's a point so let's talk a little bit about consistency from team to team steven said it makes it easier or if you don't have consistency it's harder to move from team to team move team members i would buy that um, right if, if someone's using yeah. story points a and story points b or story framework story writing framework a or approach and b it can, depending on the of the level of difference, it can be really hard. Let's say you're a tester and you're you're actually on two teams, right? So and shared people can that can make it a real challenge or moving. Yeah. Well, number one, don't share people. Uh, number that's two, true. Yeah, number two, I think within a product that's totally fine. I have never been a proponent of common story point sizes across the board for a couple of reasons one that leads to executive math which is bad and scary two there's just not a lot of value in it uh, because if you're doing things right every team is rocking and rolling with their own groove and you have enough of an agile mindset that if you do need to move over to teams they've done a good job of capturing um, this is what a five looks like. This is what a three looks like. So the so they have these example stories that you can quickly learn and lean into because they use those as a as a frame of reference during sizing. 
So if you have that extent and you build up all of those guardrails, again, all those safety nets that are there, then I think bouncing between teams is good. I'm not a proponent of bouncing between teams because there's the system of humans you have to worry about and optimize and do all that stuff. But if you have to do it, then within within a product is fine. From product to product, I think you're it's just complexities and the return is going to be hard to get back. You said something about executive math in our in our Metacast backlog. That's that's almost where I went this morning. Mm-hmm. Should that be could that be the next topic? Sure. Josh? You, yeah. Right? yeah. So just I, I, I need people... to understand what you mean. I, I think I understand a little bit about it. But yeah. I, I'd like to get into that the next time. Yeah, just a short definition of what executive math means to me is an executive finds a number somewhere and starts to extrapolate. Oh, okay. So if that means this, then if I wanted to do six teams, it would look like this. And if I wanted to do 10 products, it looks like this. And they start to forecast out the next like six years using this metric that was never intended to support the thing that they were trying to do. Um, And so it's a dangerous thing that I try and corral as quickly as possible. Ah, see, and I disagree a little bit. So we can, we can do that next time. Yeah. And again, I see, again, if you evilly extrapolate it, that's not what I'm saying, but Mm -hmm. I actually, I've actually found some of the, like team math, sprintly math, quarterly math Mm -hmm. to be useful as predictors. If we're going to grow by three teams, so that's, we don't have to do it today, but that's, that's a good future discussion. Do you want to get into anything else around Vishali's? I wonder. No, I, it, I'm, I, mean, I don't know it's, if we it's, covered it enough. I think it's tough did. because there's not. It, it's yes, it works for a period of time in the history of your company when that's good enough. But relatively quickly, with some minimal growth, that's not good enough anymore. It's the old "what got you here won't get you there." And Bob and I have made careers out of coming in and fixing companies that are at that threshold where they have this amalgamation or minimum bearable scrum of of what they're doing and they're struggling to get to that next level. And so that's one of the things that we do is we help companies navigate through that and land in a better spot. Um, so I, to me, it's it's do all of the things that we've ever talked about. I don't think there's any secret sauce it's just it's a traditional transformation where you have to come in and set the expectation on this is who we are and this is how we're going to operate because that's not what the company did before there were there was no expectation except whatever hurts the least then we're going to do that which in the end doesn't get you anywhere i think there's a variation of answer to what she said and i want to see how this lands with you I would it started with ad hoc. I would say don't start with ad hoc. So if I have a shoe level organization yeah. and shoe level teams, you're not allowed to do ad hoc. So I would say two things. You either do Kanban by the book or Scrum by the book. Yeah. And you get an expert coach to help you. Not mm-hmm. a not a coach in name only. Go go pay. And for a few sprints, you're in boot camp. And and you humbly embrace whatever they're you're being taught and you execute it to the best of your ability and you learn and you get chops and then at some point the coach goes away and and then you can become 
almost as ad hoc as you want from my point of view, or maybe have really light guardrails. And I, I have case studies. I have seen this work pretty well where you start restricted and you get to the mindset, you get to the core, the root, mm -hmm. which is where, where I've come from as a, as a practitioner, where you've come from. Uh, and then, you, then you let things go. And then if, then you just figure stuff out, then you're, I mean, your, your practices, you apply your agile mindset to everything that you do, not just to the product development side, but apply common sense, apply experimentation, you know, apply feedback loops to whatever you're doing. How, how react to that? I agree completely. That's how I started things at the dude. And one of the reasons why I said we're doing scrum by the book is that remove the variables. It took a thing out that where we had to negotiate and figure out who we were and how we wanted to operate. Everybody walked in with the same pl playbook, basically, of this is who we are. This is how we operate. We're not going to even think about it. Let's just get good at executing. Let's get good at this. And we got good at that. And then, to Bob's point, you start to take the training wheels off because that mindset now has started to set itself and you can enable, you widen the guardrails. To me, you never take them away. Just as a team matures, you get them further and further apart. But you never want to enable a team to just like crash and burn. So there's always a little something there, but you just over time start to just widen them up. The other thing real quickly is I remember you at the dude, um, Richard Core, I believe mm -hmm. worked with you at the dude. He was a scrum master slash coach with you at the dude. And I'm, I'm extrapolating. I'm thinking, so you, you were there, but I'm thinking, so you're not just growing the team, you're growing the coach or yeah. coaches. So, you are setting the tone in the beginning, but then you're stepping away. So it's not just the team execution dynamics that are growing. It's the product owners using Scrum as an instance. The product organization and the Scrum masters are growing in their ability to move from constraints in the system to unconstrained or to mm -hmm. be more agile. And, and and so we're we're sort of stepping back, stepping back, and stepping back. So it's not just the folks writing the code, if you will. It's the entire group of contributing partners right that's a fantastic cherry on top robert yeah because I, I mean at some point right like richard got it and you mm -hmm. could probably step back and have a bourbon and have a cigar mm -hmm. and just mm -hmm. and just think about the future or think about the next guardrail or the next yeah the, the next value stream yep uh okay next question this and this is switching gear this is from michael mccullough uh the uh What's his company? Agile Lean Intelligence or Lean Lean Agile Intelligence, uh, which is a um, an assessment app. And he says something. I would love your insights on Agile beyond the team and scaling frameworks. I guess what what does an Agile organization look like? So let's take our lens out really broadly. Call it business agility, if you will, but we don't need to label it. Uh, so if, why don't we do a round robin? I don't know, no more than five for each of us, uh, but maybe three. Like, what would we think the, at, a, at a broad lens? What does business agility, what are indications of business agility? I see every group operating with the same protocol that I mentioned, where they all have a roadmap, 
they all have an idea where they're going over the next three months and every two weeks they can stand up and demo what they've done and this is something that i've that i almost got in place at the dude i had the ceo sold on it and then things happened where the sales team there's no reason they can't stand up and demo hey these are these are the things that we won here's the things that we attempted to do that failed and here's how we're changing with accounting right like here's the here's how we're doing on closing the books we're through the, like everybody to me agile is just work it's optimizing the way a group of people attack work and i've never seen a limit where you go into a department and that wouldn't work in fact some operate like that they just don't even use use the label so to me it's everybody speaking in the same operational language in the same cadence to where there becomes a global heartbeat within the company so with salesforce i rem i don't know if this is true today it may be but i think of salesforce uh years ago they would have seasonal releases so they were a quarterly release shop and they would have seasonal releases uh, of salesforce major releases but the cool thing to me was that accounting and sales and customer service, everyone talked about that uh and even within each quarterly release they had to prioritize not all features would be released they had consistent quality goals so if something was falling behind in quality goals and readiness goals, they would pull it. And no one was alarmed. I mean, maybe disappointed slightly, but it, that was like, that was a good decision. Mm -hmm. We were going to drop a low priority, low value thing. Oh, and guess what? You'll get it the next time. Right. So, so book it. Uh, so, so it's sort of there. It's not just the internal to the company, but even their customers were trained. Yeah. I heard customers like talking about, like, like they knew they weren't going to get everything they asked for, Josh. Or if there was a list of features, they knew that the lower priority stuff had some potential risk or variability. Uh, and it so it was agile everywhere, and they were just sort of talking about it. Is that is that what you're getting at? Is that kind of vision? Point? Similar, yeah. It, it's again to me, it's exciting to hear that those other departments were releasing things. Like, hey, here's yeah. the here's the changes we put in or we've been working on, and now accounting is going to be easier for you to submit expenses or do whatever it yeah. might be just things like that where it you you have the opportunity to really celebrate all of the improvements across the board that are being done within your company and so many times there's so many groups that are working their tails off and doing amazing things and no one ever shines a spotlight on it so like take yeah. a minute and and yeah. do that 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 will infuse the rest of the organization with excitement and just that'll start to take off like a rocket ship. One thing I think of is, as you were talking, and it might complement your point, is I think of leaders, it's it's an extension of leaders go first. Um, and it's also maybe an idea of having that leadership champion. Uh, I remember Eric uh, Hannon when he was at, uh, with uh, Doug, Transloke. Transloke. Um, I remember Eric talking about Doug getting it. Mm -hmm. He didn't get all aspects of Agile, but he was looking at Agile as a strategic imperative, and he was the champion of it in all aspects of the company, not just in technology. He was looking at it to change his leadership team, their mindset, to, to get the silos going. But I guess what I'm what I'm saying is, that I think you 
and I maybe don't say this strongly enough, you need a leader champion. You need a senior leader champion who gets it. Uh, and I often soften it. It's like, oh, they don't need to, yeah, maybe you give them a class or they, they have a good coach. No, I actually think you need a leadership champion in a company. Business agility is needs needs someone in a really senior seat at the table to to make it so, to make it an imperative across the organization. Not having that uh, makes it sort of a grassroots, then it's this or, or, you know organic grassroots thing that can that can create tremendous promise, but it it may not connect the dots. Sometimes that leader needs to challenge their leadership team, right? And and sometimes they may have to get rid of someone. That's not the goal. But it's like, look, you all, you know, changing bonus structures, changing incentives, and just talking about it relentlessly all the time. Um, I think that's a requirement for business agility. I mean, you see, I think Capital One is an example of that. I hate to bring up, cap, but they're laying people off, but they're someone in a leadership position, a very senior leadership position there came to the conclusion uh, that they didn't need agile. They don't need these agile change agents. I'm not picking on them. They, mm -hmm. That's that's their that's their prerogative. I think they're wrong, right? I absolutely. I'm not. Maybe they had the wrong ratios, but I think that's wrong thinking. And if you really understood it, you would not make that business decision. You you would make a more balanced business decision. You would make a more business agility balanced decision. So, it react to that. What do you think? Uh, to me, that's the difference between good and great. I think you can be yeah. good without a leader really being an evangelist. I think you have to have that. This is who we are. We're going to celebrate it. Have them model the behavior to have yeah. your CXO model the behavior. That becomes a very powerful thing. So there's a ton of value that can come out of that. The next thing for me when I look at business agility is they and this is something we talked about last episode they they understand the value they deliver to the customer there's a lot of things around outputs versus outcomes and the company is doing stuff most of it lands and makes a difference with the customer but true agility comes from establishing that bi-directional conversation of understanding the real life, real world challenges and being able to connect that with the teams that are building in response to those challenges and have them fully understand the difference this is going to make for that end user or that millions of users that are out there that hit this button 75 times a month. It's that level of understanding of the core problem, the unique ability we have to solve that better than anybody else and that creates a company that truly works in an agile manner because it it is not driven by a top-down this is what we're going to solve for the customers yes you have an idea and you have a direction but you engage with those customers and they help shape things and that delivers a better product and again you start to model hey this is how we ship our products we are working with our customers then that creates that same thought process across the organization where departments recognize their internal customers and start doing the same thing with right. them. So that just becomes the norm and part of the DNA of the company. 
I'm 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 all in on okay. that. The one thing I was as you were talking, I I was thinking I I guess I'm getting into softer leadership again, but it's a nice compliment between us. I think of you as being product centric. That's the wrong mm -hmm. way to say it. But, I got you, but yeah. Like value centric, yeah. and I'm leaning into maybe leadership centric. But I like the balance between it. I think of safety and trust in growing teams, mm. like, like creating safety and extending trust. The, the, the thing I wrote down was moving from an accountability proposition of holding people accountable to uh, inspiring responsibility and ownership on the part. So moving from, I'm going to hold you accountable or hold myself accountable to, we, we, we are innately, we become innately responsible and we take ownership naturally. Like it's inside out as opposed to outside yep. in. Uh, I think it's tied to the leadership setting or culture like that. And then a part of that is the leaders stepping back. If yep. you're setting a culture like that, I mean, literally you can go in your boat and go fishing uh, and great shit. I, I don't, I think, I think so. Part of business agility is tapping the untapped greatness of the people that you freaking hired. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't have a ratio, but I, it's almost like the brain, like what, what you, you're only using like 10 to 20% of your brain or whatever it is. Yeah. I think that same thing is in the companies today. Most companies, I mean, even uh, Tesla, I, I mean, talk about innovation and creativity, but I also think Elon is the controlling brain over the other brains. You, you know, it's like those brains probably think, would Elon do it this way or not? As I'm, ki I'm kidding a little bit, but I'm not. Or, or are they, are they going off on their own? And, and I, I think business agility is tapping in to the greatness that you've hired, um, and just getting getting the help. I mean, again, it's almost like the guardrails for the teams, right? Giving them very light-handed guardrails, but then getting hell out of the way mm -hmm. uh, and seeing what wonderful things can happen. Yeah. A thing I want to layer on top of that is you see healthy experimentation. That's pretty darn rare in many companies that are out there, but in a Absolutely. Agile business, there's experimentation that's going on because you're agile and you know if you fail, you're not going to like fall off a cliff and die. You're going to stub your toe, but you're going to keep moving. So good, healthy experimentation that creates the innovation that Bob is talking about that allows you to get ahead or stay ahead of the competitors that are out there because you have to assume that your competitors are getting better than you every day. And if you're not getting better, then they're lapping you. So it has to be, how can we improve more and faster than everybody out there that we're competing with? And in the end, if you do that and your product might not even be as good, but the market sees how responsive you are and they know, okay, I'm going to invest here because over time they're going to win. And that big behemoth that's over there that hasn't changed a thing in like five years, there's no future there. So you can win business with just this approach of how you operate across the board. I, I'm with you. Do you know any companies that are, and I, and I know it's a, a sliding scale or a moving target, but I don't know if I know any company personally that, that I would admire that does what I was talking about or comes close to it. Forget it. You know, I'm not looking for a unicorn, Yeah. but com companies that like really are, 
driven by the people, innovation, experimentation. Maybe there's small companies. Uh, maybe Spotify talked about that a little bit. Maybe there. I don't know. I don't. That's a that's a disappointing situation. Um, Even in the and, agile, and my context yeah. is mostly agile companies. I'm really talking about some of them. What is it? I sh I show this tomato. What Morningstar? There are a couple unicorn companies. Morningstar is a tomato company where people the people are driving, mm -hmm. uh, and there's videos about it. Uh, maybe a handful. There's a there's a Bush Jorb or there's a medical company in Holland uh, that does medi uh, you know patient support. Uh, that is like that. The, I guess it comes back to these teal companies, you know, like the the Amber, uh, what was it, Frederick Lelou's teal model, uh, that there are some teal models. Who's the, there's a shoe company in Vegas. What was it? Uh, the Tony Haseo. Oh, yeah, that uh, crashed and burned, didn't it? It was it, it changed, but for one, at one point in time, yeah, uh, he was creating an environment where I think people were really driving. Yes. It's, it's really hard. I think it's hard to sustain it. If you remember, Google did Joy Inc. Ah, David, it's yeah. I think Rich Sheridan has done. He has a sustainable model uh, with it. It's. I think it's hard to sustain it over time. Uh, if if you remember Google twenty percent time, you know that hackathon time that they built in, uh, they took it away, and it was because leaders lost trust in the teams. That. They won't say it that way, probably publicly. They did say it lightly. New leaders came in, and it was like, "What are we doing? Mm -hmm. We're giving the teams a day a, a week. We, that's that's a stupid decision from a bean counter perspective." Uh, so maybe that it's like you have to. It's a leadership thing where you have to consistently be able to just keep yourself back. Maybe that's your metric as a leader: is is don't muck up. You know, if you approach like Joy Inc., don't muck things up. Yeah, there's a there's a handful of things that prevent that. One that takes good hiring, good onboarding, good culture to create and maintain and sustain that. Two, there are, and we just demonstrated it, a minuscule set of examples. Whereas all of the other examples people see and live with every day, unfortunately, are the opposite. That's why last episode I talked about the new mission for Josh in the back end of his career is making this type of leadership the norm. And how can I enable that and create some of these shiny, shiny examples that we're talking about that there aren't enough of and being able to hopefully Absolutely. over the next couple of generations make that the norm instead of the way it is now. Did you actually say the back end of your career, Josh? Hey, listen, Bob, as I was thinking about stuff and where I go with jobs, and I started to think about the total number of jobs I might have left in my career, it's a it's a small number. I'm with you, man. Look I at know. me, for goodness sakes, right? <laughs> I, if you're at the back end, I don't know what, I won't even approach where I'm at. <laughs> so that's just what we're gonna let that go do you do you have any other business agility i i don't a uh, to me one of the things that drives so many unagile behaviors is the annual cycle 
be it mm. reviews or budgeting or anything like that, that for, you know, eternity, basically in the business world, that's been the norm of, well, we do reviews once a year. Uh, we're going to budget yeah. once a year. All of those things force the rest of your company into bad habits because you've stated, hey, we're going to waterfall this thing and we're going to set yeah. things in motion and we're going to lock it in. And this is what you're going to do. This is what you're going to operate off of for the rest of the year. Good luck. And if anything changes, sorry. Don't tell us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You you have to go find the money. That's always the fun thing of, oh, well, you know, that's not in the budget, but you should go find the money. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah, sure. I'll find a big bucket. And that leads I mean, to like slush funds to. and all those, you know, all, all that annoying stuff. You said something that I want to pick on, but it's not really as strong. You said unagile behaviors. I, I think what we have to do in the next five years and move it to, it's not agile versus unagile. It's not agile versus business agility. It's like bullshit versus this is the way it should be. Mm. Right. Uh, right. This, this, these are bullshit things. Yes, they can, you know, yeah, you can get paid. You can buy, get a mortgage and you can deliver customer value. But then there's a new way of working. And damn it, get with the program in a new way of working. Uh, and and I, I think agile diminish. We overuse the term sometimes. Yeah, you're right. This agility. Get to this new way of working that's going to be much more competitive, et cetera. It's adaptive. Adaptive ways of working. Ooh. Right. And yeah, and, and, and and then it's get get to help and get out of your get out of your comfort zone. Right. If you're not, a, and you want a mantra for leaders, if you're not uncomfortable, you're not doing, you're not doing enough. Right. Yeah, exactly. If, if you're, you, you need to be uncomfortable. Right. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. You need to not know where you're going. You need to be experimenting and figuring things out. So I'm going to, I'm going to stick a fork in that for Bashali. I don't know if it was, or, or I mean, uh, for Michael. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think we sort of surrounded a little bit with some characteristics yeah, that did. he was looking for. I feel pretty um, good. All right. We good? I think oh, we're good. Let's stick a fork in part potpourri part katra. Oh, that kind of <laughs> that was that didn't hurt. I had enough practice that I think my throat muscles loosened up. <laughs> All right. Everyone from beautiful downtown Cary, North Carolina. And beautiful downtown Fuquay Varina, North Carolina. I'm Bob Galen. And I'm Josh Anderson. Shake and bake. Take care, y'all.